Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife on 99.1 FM Talk. I'm this week's host, Ashley Sanchez, and today we're talking about a threatened species of the West, the Lahontan cutthroat trout. Here to talk about Endow's efforts to recover the species is outdoor education coordinator Aaron Keller and fisheries biologist Travis Hawks, Cody Byrne, and Mike Starr. Welcome, everyone. So you guys have become known as the Lahontan Cutthroat Trout Recovery Team. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we each work in (laughs) different parts around the state in different major drainages. Um, I'm based in Winnemucca and Mike and Elko and Travis and Reno. And within those respective parts of northern Nevada, within the native range of LCT, we each manage uh, major drainages throughout there and then all the smaller occupied waters that compose those watersheds. Okay, so how did this all start? Could you guys just give a little bit of background on this project? That's a long answer. Wait, I asked two questions. So how did this start? So let's start with, what is the project? So basically, um, Lahanka trout are a threatened species um, in their native range. So um, this, as the state man, the state agency responsible for managing wildlife, it's our job to do things to make sure that those fish don't become one endangered or two extinct. Um, so, like Cody said, we've got these different drainages, different management areas where we've been tasked with doing whatever we can to um, keep that fish on the landscape and actually increase the numbers to a point where they're no longer threatened, where they no longer need protection from the federal government under the endangered species act and then again you guys are doing this in different this is statewide effort all across the state yeah this is region-wide i mean because these fish they their historic range extended into california oregon um and then nevada so it's it's multiple states multiple state agencies federal agencies um some tribal governments um yeah there's there's way more than just us working on this but as the the again the state agency who's responsible for the fish it's it's kind of our job to make sure things happen and such since it is such a huge project do you guys want to talk about each like what each of you do in your part in this project we'll start over here all righty so like i mentioned earlier i work out of winnemucca and that mostly covers the quinn river and black rock drainages in there and so it's all the uh, isolated mountain streams that drain into those two basins out there on it and then a small portion of the little humboldt drainage which is a major tributary system to the the lower humboldt river in there and within that area there it's referred to as the northwest geographic management unit and we have a handful of streams that are still supporting the historic original lct that were found in there and then we've used those fish for source stock and other reintroduction efforts as suitable habitats are available for further recovery and continue to plan that process as habitat conditions continue to improve or threats are removed from uh, current LCT populations. And so what does a, like, what does a day look like? You say like we're working and we have streams. And we That's what I still want to know what it is like exactly. In the life of Cody Byrne. So starting about this time of year, 
uh, field season really ramps up and it's going to be a lot of fish population surveys and that you for a lot of those we use backpack electrofishers on that and we can collect data on uh, fish population estimates uh, fish distribution can also sample the fish and get measurements on the length of the fish bot, uh, weight of the fish assess their body condition and a lot of times every every fish that we handle pretty much anymore we also collect a small fin clip off of them for later genetic analysis to make sure the populations aren't being introgressed with uh, rainbow trout or to look at uh, where they may have originally uh, came from and how they're closely related to other populations so we can better make determinations of what sources we use for reintroduction efforts. Right, so your genetic sampling is pretty important. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, the last few years, it's pretty much been our, uh, the the way that we operate every fish we handle anymore. We're, we're collecting genetics on that. It's become a major tool that we use these days. Right, and so we kind of brushed over it a little bit, but so your day is basically spent in the backcountry of Nevada. So, I mean, most of your field season is spent. Yeah, for about six six months of the year, it's out in the field and anywhere with a crew from one to three conservation aides that are assisting us in our recovery efforts on that is working in different streams across the mountain ranges in northern Nevada. Sounds lot like of a pretty good time. A lot of time camped out and a uh, lot of neat country we get to see. Right on. It's probably a dream job for some people. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what what's what what is your day? Uh, mine's pretty much the same as Cody. Uh, we, I mean, I, so I manage everything. Well, me and another biologist manage, uh, it's called the upper Humboldt region. Um, and so that goes from the Ruby mountains, um, as far south as Arc Dome and the Toyabis. And then as far north as the Jarbage wilderness, um, we have a little bit more water up there, but essentially my job's the same as Cody's. Um, we go there, we monitor populations, um, uh, and then we recover where we can, either reestablishing new populations, um, removing non-native threats, uh, all those type of issues, pretty much the same thing. So Right on. And Travis, you you actually had Cody's job before he had it. What did, what did he leave out about the cool parts of that job? Um, I mean, not not a ton. He covered it well. Yeah. I think... I think it should be stated that like what Cody and Mike are doing in in northern Nevada, northeastern Nevada is they're they're having success in the recovery program. They're they're working in areas where actually creating or maintaining these these self-sustaining populations is is happening. And um, you come over to where I'm at in the western region, and you've got um, bigger systems and more complicated systems, um, a lot more to deal with as far as different different jurisdictions different species we've got every kind of species you can imagine over here and just the feasibility of of an actual recovery in the western part of the state is is maybe not as attainable as it is for these guys and they're they just yeah it just needs to be said that they're they're actually recovering this fish to a point where we may one day get to see it off the endangered species yeah, list. right so I mean, we, we have the advantage in, in our regions in that most of our populations are small, isolated streams um, that, that aren't really interconnected. Um, and, and so we have the ability to, I mean, just manage each, cause, because they're not interconnected, right. uh, we can just go in and we can manage each, each stream individually um, instead of a whole huge, large uh, watershed like the Truckee. Right, so you can manage them to, to actually see small successes 
all along the way rather than just one big huge success right. you can kind of chip away at it is there anything that you guys have been working on the last couple of years that you guys would want to kind of shine a spotlight on the last couple of years in the northwest gmu the drought really hit us hard out right. there and so we had to kind of take a step back and reassess what waters are suitable for the long-term persistence of the fish out there you know we're kind of right in the middle of the northern central part of the state there and it's not uncommon for our precipitation zone to be substantially lower out there than it is in western nevada or eastern nevada in there and uh, available habitat has became very limited out there and so it's really uh, led us to refocus and reassess where we're going and what streams are going to be suitable for the long-term persistence of fish so a uh, lot of our efforts lately have been redirected into habitat management and ha regular habitat monitoring and that plays in closely with coordination with the federal land management agencies out there right yeah so you kind of got brought up a couple of good points one is that you guys are trying to manage fish in the driest state in the union which cannot be an easy task and then the second one is is all the different um, government agencies the land management agencies that are also kind of play a part in your guys' job which I bet is kind of a, a tiptoe sometimes. So, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, I yeah, and um, I think something a lot of people always kind of ask us wh why, like why are you? What's the point of recovering this fish in the dry state in the nation where you've got streams drying up? Like why are you doing this? And I mean the the simple answer is that the, the implications of this fish be going from threatened to endangered are huge and far-reaching and it'll have an effect on i mean how public land is used how people how you know permittees can graze their cattle how recreational hunting you know where you can go to recreational hunt streams that you can fish now you may not be able to fish in the future if if this fish goes from being threatened to endangered so um you know and that's where we work with these these other governmental agencies blm forest service and and I'll try to work together to come to the, this end goal of recovering this fish. So. And um, I'm still curious as to when, I mean, when you guys started to see a need for this, when did this all start? Is that another loaded Nin question? Nineteen <laughs> mid-70s? Yeah, so okay. I believe. Yeah, they were listed as uh, endangered originally, and then two years later downlisted to threatened. Um, and that, that was what? 1972 1975 yeah. reclassified as threatened yeah and there and it and it was you know a, a century of or half a century of um, many different things causing this fish to kind of plummet in numbers um, and it, it was different in all regions of the state on on this side on the west side of the state it was primarily you know a, a dam and one dam in particular derby dam that stopped the upstream migration of those fish out of pyramid lake every year so basically they weren't able to spawn anymore and then commercial fishing for them and then cody yeah. and mike can probably talk about in the, in the eastern eastern side is side of the state it was more um, habitat issues and then um, we stocked a wide variety of trout species throughout the range um, brooks rainbows um, all, all these fish that either outcompete cutthroat um, or hybridize, and so you lose that genetic diversity with, within the cutthroat. Um, and then, of course, there's always the water diversions and, and all that stuff. Um, how about you, Cody? Yeah, ha habitat degradation, competition with non-native species, 
uh, introgression with non-native rainbow trout and just continual pattern of uh, limited water availability are the major major threats we deal with today. So it's a little different for each of the areas. Yeah. And um, so you guys do stocking, I mean, throughout all of your areas. How do you make sure that doesn't interfere with this project? So for me, um, we we only stock triploid rainbow trout, which is uh, it's a sterile species of rainbow trout, so it can't reproduce. So, so our stocking um, is basically designed. We put fish in the river or a lake. We want people to go out and catch them. They're not. We're not stocking fish to repopulate something. We're not doing it to you know increase the number of wild producing fish down the road. It's specifically a recreational opportunity. We put fish in the water for kids or anyone to get out and catch um, and over in this side of the state. Then in uh, the kind of the greater Humboldt County area, we still do have a stream stocking program that occurs within that native historic range of LCT. Up to this point, all our LCT recovery efforts, reintroduction has all been using uh, native uh, wild self-produced source stock from the mountain streams just moving from one stream to another stream whereas our sport fisheries out there are augmented and supported by hatchery production and those are all triploid fish that are stocked in those streams out there and then we also make sure that there's large geographic barriers between there you know it'll just be on one side of a mountain range on there that there may be uh, sport fish streams that are managed and receive active of fish stocking plants on it and then say the west side of a mountain range will just be a native lct fisheries over there that are being managed for recovery efforts on there so we make sure that not only do we have that protection of triploid fish which can't readily uh, reproduce with lct then also large geographic barriers too on there to you know limit the possibility of fish being uh, moved around in an unauthorized manner well, that is all the time we have for this part of the show, but we have a lot more to talk about coming up after this break. You're listening to Nevada Wild. Long gone to Saskatchewan where the getting's good if you're getting gone. I'm gonna put my boots and my hat back on because I'm long gone to Saskatchewan. Long gone to Saskatchewan. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Before the break, we were talking about stalking in the different areas, but Mike, we didn't get to you yet in the <laughs> eastern region, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's there's actually not much stalking in the in the eastern region as far as the small streams go. Um, we still stock reservoirs and and those types of uh, waters. Um, however, the small streams within the subbasin, there's only a handful that are stocked, and, that, and that's solely due to uh, there's not much demand um, within a lot of these high mountain lakes or high mountain streams. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like Lemoyle Creek and Tabor Creek, which is which is stocked, and it's stocked with uh, either triploids, um, so so they can't reproduce, or tiger trout, which are a uh, sterile hybrid. Um, yeah. And so demand, you're talking about fishing, like Fish, yeah, people going to catch them. Fishing demand. Um, right. <laughs> the, the these small streams are really remote. 
Um, okay. it, it, you have to backpack miles in, in to get to some of these. And so um, they're, they're wild reproducing uh, trout populations already. Right. Um, and, and that reproduction is enough to, to, to meet the demands of the angler, uh, the few anglers that backpack in right, these areas. Right. And we've been successful the last few years of opening up a lot of the LCT stream fisheries, and they're available for sport fishing, angling opportunities too for anglers to go out and visit. And a lot of them even have uh, ability for anglers to keep fish on those streams too. They support robust enough fish populations out there that they have, they allow mm -hmm. harvest too on some of the fisheries out there. So it creates a unique opportunity for uh, native fish um, angling opportunities too. Right. Yeah, and if anybody's has ever gotten a chance to fish like a small stream in the backcountry of it's <laughs> it's pretty cool yeah uh your catch rates are gonna be pretty high in any one of those streams even though they're not stocked uh, just because there's so many fish and so little pressure angling pressure right and so um during the break we were kind of touching on just kind of back and forth on on um kind of the the species of trout or you know the types of trout and how cutthroat kind of Sometimes angling kind of gets a, a funny way in there with native fish, and some people want to catch big fish. And so, can you talk a little bit about that, like kind of how how the cutthroat trout kind of stacks up on the, on the list of fish, I guess. So, what I see out there in uh, the north central part of the state is a lot of anglers, you know, will state that the LCT don't provide enough of an angling opportunity as brook trout do on there. Uh, brook trout can coexist in a lot higher density and a small available limited habitat like we see on these mountain streams than LCT can on there where one pool may have you know 10-15 brook trout in there but they're going to be a very small size because there's still only a limited amount of forage that's available for the fish on there whereas cutthroat you might only have one or two fish that's going to be inhabiting that pool on there but oftentimes we'll see those cutthroat in that same type of habitat in there attain a larger size in there. Uh, the cutthroat that we have here, the Lahont cutthroat in northern Nevada, are also uh, well adapted to the habitat fluctuations and uh, dramatic temperature differences that we see in our streams here. And they're well adapted to withstand the high water temperatures that we experience in the summertime out here. They're, they're much more tolerant than other trout species that have been introduced here uh, through different stocking programs, you know, over the last 150 years. Right, like um, if you're if you're catching brook trout in a small mountain stream, they're usually pretty small. Um, but I mean, there's some streams we have in northern Nevada where the the cutthroat are getting, you know, 20 inches. They're getting pretty big fish. Yeah, those waters in the eastern region that Mike manages grow some some large size cutthroat out there. <laughs> right, it's kind of funny. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're gonna be maybe a little bit harder to catch because they're they're a little bit older fish, kind of bigger fish, but. Yeah, well, what I thought was interesting is talking about just the different, how different each area is that you guys are overseeing. So what are the biggest challenges that you say each of you would face? Yeah, in the, in the eastern side of the state, it's it's non-native trout. Um, it's, that's the number one uh, influence on, on cutthroat. Uh, we have, as we've mentioned before, the, the hybridization issues um with with rainbow trout and then of course the out the competition with brook trout um and so we go in and we try to minimize or eliminate that threat and and get these native fish uh, reestablished. 
Around Humboldt County, it'd be limited available habitat. We only have a very small number of streams that are even uh, perennial streams that have conditions suitable for supporting fish out there. And then within those areas, then we have those same same issues that Mike just touched on of competition with non-natives, hybridization with introduced rainbow trout, and then some habitat degradations in those in those handful of streams that we have out there. There's you know, in our in our part of the state, there's only so many areas that, that we can look at for recovery efforts on there. There's just a, not an abundance of water out there. And I guess in the western part of the state, it's, um, a <laughs> I guess, a problem of having too much of a good thing and too much, really too, not too much, but we have a lot of water and we have these huge complex interconnected systems that run from Lake Tahoe to Pyramid Lake and um, the fish we we have you know ev- everyone's aware that we have now naturalized wild browns rainbows um lake trout up in lake tahoe and um the lct has a, a tough time getting a foothold now in in the face of that competition and we don't you know we we are responsible for the wildlife and i mean the the anglers they buy their fishing licenses every year they want to be able to catch fish and we don't want to go out and you know remove this that recreational opportunity we don't want to take out the browns and the rainbows um when we don't don't feel like we can have you know a complete success in in reintroducing those cutthroat we we think there's areas within the western region where we can have success and we're starting to look at some of these some smaller systems some tributaries to lake tahoe where we think we can get wild reproducing cutthroat back and and allow them to do their thing but um i guess really the biggest challenge we face is just um you know the the social aspect of anglers and the public um wanting to be able to fish but at the same time needing to make them realize that this fish does need a a little bit of a spot and and we have to find those areas where we can have success so and can we talk a little bit more and we talked about it in the first half but just the impacts this would have if you guys weren't doing a recovery like this like I know you we touched on it a little bit in the first half but could you get into that a little bit more about just why this is so important that we're recovering this fish I mean in in the in the western area you know there's so there's Pyramid Lake and you've got the the Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe who's doing great work down there with the fish and every everyone or most of Nevada and a lot of the angling community across the west are familiar with Pyramid Lake now and how those fish are huge and it's a it's a great angling destination um and and those fish are starting to get into the Truckee river and move upstream and so then they hit the challenge of there's hybridization chances with rainbow trout there's several barriers that um that aren't passable at at the moment so um you know we need those fish to be able to spawn and do their thing and get to a stable number so that they don't become endangered because if that fish were to become endangered basically i mean the pyramid lake drainage wouldn't be fishable or wouldn't be fishable at certain times of the year to protect that endangered species um and then there's also you know there's huge huge economic impacts to an endangered species and the money that goes into that and what people are allowed to do as far as i mean just municipal things taking water things like that when there's an endangered species involved it gets a lot more complicated so over here we're just we're cognizant of the angling aspect of it. Um, we want people to fish for them. We don't want to take that opportunity away, um, but we do want to improve the numbers. So, and I, it, I know there's a lot more that goes on in these other guys' regions. 
Yeah, I just I don't I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like you said, you always get that question mm. of the why. Right. They say how much of like of Re- for you, <clears throat> Travis, how much of Reno's drinking water comes from the river? It's crazy. It, it's yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. also if you have an endangered species in that water, right? I mean, everything is going to be heightened. The priority for that water is going to be a lot higher. Right. And, and towards that. And too, I I mean the intrinsic value of a native species in its native habitat where. It evolved and then we showed up and botched it. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and ruin so everything. So yeah. that that there is, that is a huge part of it, and mm-hmm. and you know, so that's where I'm at. But. And so I did uh, I did write down a note that the UN, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is stocking thirty five thousand LCT into the river. Right. Yeah, they they work with us. Um, we we permit them to do that, and it's it's strictly like we talked about earlier, recreational. They're they're not stocking these fish in hopes that, you know, five years down the road we're going to have these, these naturalized fish living in the river. Um, they're they're strictly for people to get out and catch and just a different opportunity. So, aside from the rainbows and the wild browns that we have in the river, you know, people can get out after these stocking events that just started last week and catch a you know catch a native long cutthroat trout out of the river. Right. So this yeah. is just expanding the opportunity for anglers. Yep. 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 And raising awareness for you know for the fish and. Let getting people to realize, you know, they are they are the native one. They are the one because it's it's amazing how many people you would talk to that think that a brown trout and a rainbow right, trout yeah, are yeah, rainbow <laughs> trout is the state fish. Are, yeah, <laughs> native native to the native to the Truckee River. Right, so. and so there is a big difference, which is I think we're kind of shining a light on in stocking fish for for opportunity for people to catch, and then also for the restoration. Is so two different programs, which I think is really cool. And I think you guys are doing a lot of work spread all across the state um, that a lot of people don't hear about. Yeah, I mean, like what Cody and Mike do after they they go in and they eliminate a thread out of a out of a small stream, you know, get rid of the brook trout or whatever, and then go back in that same year and stock it with wild caught cutthroat that they got from the next drainage over, you know. And I mean, they can probably talk more on it, but. Do you want to talk more on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. yeah, it creates a unique opportunity that uh, in the, you know, Northwest GMU and then in the Humboldt GMU that we're still able to do this native fish recovery efforts without having to augment those native uh, source stocks with any hatchery production on it. You know, we're able to rely on everything that these relatively small mountain streams are producing and the excess fish in those streams are able to move over into these other drainages and increase the number of populations that we have out there and the greater range that we have lct spread over and the higher density that they can occur in the higher likelihood that we're going to have fish persisting well into the future as long as we can maintain and manage uh, healthy riparian habitats out there right which is such a cool goal i mean we have plenty of brookies like what's not <laughs> everybody listening we have plenty of brookies in nevada and so i think that your guys's your guys's goal of working towards getting this this fish delisted is i mean it's awesome it's uh it's something that you guys are probably really proud to like say that you're having successes and having streams come back and right i mean you guys are all (laughs) nodding your head not saying anything (laughs) yeah yeah they're proud they're proud their heads are nodding they're humble guys yeah (laughs) we're field biologists (laughs) who 
don't like talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I talk more. I talk more to fish on a weekly basis than I do yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> well, keep working. Keep working to your, towards yeah. your goals, guys. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a great yeah. job. Yeah, you guys are doing awesome. So, well, thank you all for being here. I know you guys aren't people, people. So I appreciate you guys coming in to talk about this. To hear more of our podcasts, find Endow on SoundCloud and iTunes. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.